that are related to food, or at least have some relation to food. One is actually food-related specifically, and the other one is just an interesting place to visit that has food kind of as a sidebar. So, let's talk about the first one. The very first place that I want to talk about today is a place that is listed on the National Historic Registry. It is number 916 on the list of California's historical landmarks, and it is called Forestier Underground Gardens. This place is absolutely amazing, and it doesn't look like anything from the road or from the outside, and I had been wanting to go there for years and years, and anytime I was passing through that area, it just never worked out. So I recently decided that I would go ahead and take the plunge, and I think that it is an amazing place and something not to be missed. It was originally purchased by a man named Baltazare Forestier, who was an immigrant from Sicily in the early 1900s. He came here, well, first he was on the East Coast, and um, I, I forget exactly where, but he helped to build subterranean tunnels for railroad. So, um, subway, maybe in New York or, or some other place where there are subway tunnels on the East Coast. And he learned how to do underground tunneling. And he caught wind of some advertisements about moving westward and some land that could be had for a less expensive purchase price. And he decided to go ahead and relocate to Fresno, California. And he bought 80 acres of land for $80. And his original plan was to grow citrus. He was going to grow groves of citrus trees, oranges to be exact. And he just thought that he would become a farmer and that was going to be his livelihood. So when he got this land and he started to dig by hand with his shovel, he soon hit hard pan and found that the entire area is mostly hard pan. It's a a breadbasket region, but it's also a desert region, and um, it was not ready to receive his trees, and it would not support his trees at that time. So he decided to do other work while he kind of regrouped and figured out what it was he was going to do, and while that was going on, it came to his first summer in Fresno, California. And he soon realized that he was going to be excruciatingly hot. And I don't think he had a structure that had any kind of cooling system. And um, even if he did, I'm sure they were rudimentary in those days compared to now. So we didn't have the really nice air conditioning. And it can get to 110 degrees quite a few times throughout the summer in Fresno, California. So he decided that digging his home underground would be a really good idea. And he started digging and he hit the hard pan again, but he persevered. 
and he ended up just building this underground tunnel system, underground rooms, underground home that is absolutely amazing. It took him 40 years, well, over the course of 40 years until he passed away from 1906 until about 1946. He dug and dug and built and dug and dug some more. And what he ended up doing is planting his trees and his citrus and all of his food plants underground. And it's open air in a lot of places. So it's a series of tunnels and then you'll come into an open air space and tunnels and over some of the tunnel spaces he would build an open air sort of a chimney um, and then on the top side ground level he would put coverings that were a little bit above so that there was plenty of ventilation but that the weather did not come in on him so the rain could not get directly in and you know any any other elements that were coming down could not get directly in and that is how he lived his life. He didn't do a lot of writing of any kind. He didn't keep journals. He didn't keep maps. He just dug and built and lived in this beautiful place that he had created. And at the end, I believe it has 65 rooms. And um, many of them have what I mentioned are the skylights. He made catch basins for water. He had an underground well, and with the dirt that he removed, he created another large structure elsewhere that was closer up on the ground level and in some of the areas that were coming up to the ground level from his underground structure. He would move that dirt, and because it was uh, very rich dirt in minerals and it was still moist because it had come from below the hard pan. He actually ended up, you know, cutting through the hard pan and, and getting to some really good dirt. Um, he was able then to grow some trees and some bushes and shrubs and things at the ground level outside. So the pathways and rooms were constructed with various widths and various um, directional choices. So he had some things that were kind of uh, angled and that helped his airflow and it created pressure as the air moved through and bounced off the curves and caverns that he had down there. His skylights were conical shaped and that allowed the hot air to be pushed out quickly and the cool air to remain below. And he especially used the conical shapes above the two uh, fireplaces and stoves, cooking stoves that he had in indoors. The plants and trees that he planted, some still, well, many, many of them still exist. Some of the ones that still exist are over a hundred years old. One of his original planters still has the tree in it that he planted. And each level was planted at different times so that things would bloom in succession. And he figured out in this way that he could extend his growing season a bit. Um, he had a variety of fruit and he was a master um, at splicing various 
branches from certain types of trees and then grafting them onto other trees. And in one instance, he had one tree that grew seven kinds of fruit. This one tree had navel orange, lemon, Valencia orange, grapefruit, sweet lemon, sour orange, and something called cedro. And it now only has, I think, three of these varieties left because over the years, some of these branches have broken off of that particular tree. But when he was living there and when his place was in its heyday, he had this beautiful tree that grew seven different kinds of fruit. And ultimately, he started some animal husbandry and um, grew, I believe, some beef and some um, pigs, pork, and he had all, everything he needed. He really didn't have to go to the store. The only things that he did not produce himself were salt, certain, certain spices, and, um, well, honey. I don't think he had bees, but he had all of the fruits and vegetables that he needed, and he had the meat that he needed, and he had wanted to build uh, a meeting place, a place where people could come and have a resort experience. And he actually built underground this driveway where the cars of the day could drive in and he had a large parking area and he would let these cars come in with valet service. And then he had created a grand ballroom and there could be meeting and dances and things in the ballroom. And his plan was to begin a restaurant and probably have all of the foods that he loved from home in his restaurant. And the restaurant part, and really mostly the uh, part about having people come for the day and stay, did not come to fruition. He did have gatherings, he did have dances, um, but his day spa idea never quite got off the ground. So <clears throat> as the years progressed and he started to wind down physically, he didn't have as many gatherings <clears throat> and he stopped work. And nobody really knows exactly how extensive his work was because when he passed away, he did not have any children. He had never married. He did not have a will or a trust and his land went to certain family members that uh, I believe were nieces and nephews um, and siblings based on intestate succession. And so the land was split up and some of the family members sold parts. And um, right now, today, there is a Carl's Jr. sitting on some piece of the land that used to belong to him. And there are other commercial businesses and buildings on other parts of the land. Ultimately, only 10 acres were kept. And that, I believe, went to two of his brothers. And ultimately, one of the brothers... Uh, land got sold off. And so five acres remained. There was one brother, I believe his name was Giuseppe, and he decided to preserve this legacy that um, Baltasar had started. And he's the one who got the historic landmark status. And today the tour is a two and a half acre tour 
and it lasts one hour. It is an amazing tour. It is definitely worth going to. And today, the fruit that they have still in production is navel, Valencia, and sour orange, ponderosa lemon, um, kumquats, loquats, ruby red grapefruits, and pomegranates. I believe they do have pomegranates still. Baldazar had also planted stone fruits and like nectarines and apricots. And in his second home courtyard, he had a first home that was small and then adjacent to that, but connected to it. He built what he called his second home. He had a courtyard there with a Chinese date tree, a loquat tree, and a carob tree. And those do still exist today. The family that preserved this legacy also planted 40 rose bushes along the rose path in order to honor each of the 40 years that Baltazari dedicated to this dream he had of building this underground beautiful caverns and oh he also had grapes um they have something that they call the trinity courtyard and it has black morocco table grapes and he also grew some seedless thompson grapes in a few of the areas where he had the canopies overhead he actually had trellises and he would have grapevines going along these trellises Originally, it is thought that he had actually dug 20 acres of underground courtyards and rooms and passages before he passed away. He was born in 1879 in the province of Pilari in Sicily. In 1902, he came to the United States, finding his way to the Central Valley in Fresno in 1905. He thought the land was fertile and it turned out not to be as fertile as he had dreamed, as I mentioned earlier. So he decided to go ahead and do this amazing underground home and lived there the rest of his life. The tour costs $21 for adults and I think 11 for children. And it's, um, I think it's open every day except Sunday, or I, I don't even know. Anyway. I'll put a link in the notes for um, the page if you would like to know in more information about that. But I just was amazed at the food he was able to grow. And so I wanted to share it because um, it's, a, it's a really great food stop. You can't buy the food there and you can't pick the food there. But what an amazing fortitude and um, diligence and perseverance this man had to build for 40 years by digging by hand underground with his pick and his shovel. And ultimately he used something called a Fresno scraper that I believe he used um, burrows or uh, horses or donkeys, some, some sort of animal to help pull this basket that would scrape the dirt out as he was digging. Anyway, it is definitely worth the visit. And um, anybody who is looking for 
just an amazing story and happens to be passing through the Central Valley in California should definitely stop and take a look at this one. I think it is good to go in the mid-morning, especially as we get closer into summer, because the temperatures are really nice down there. It's an open-air museum, and so some of the heat of the day will get to certain parts of it, but it is also an underground structure, and so it is somewhat regulated in temperature. There is actually a sub Mediterranean area that he dug out and it stays between about 65 and 72 degrees all the time no matter what temperature it is above ground. So that is an amazing place to visit and um, I just wanted to tell you all about it and you should give it a try sometime. Next I want to talk about Casa de Fruta. It is a roadside stand that was started in the early 1900s as well, on the way to Hollister, on the way to Monterey, on the Highway 152 in California as well. This began actually in 1885 when four brothers, Giuseppe, Alphonse, Bruno, and Pasquale Biscalia, voyaged from Calabria region of southern Italy to come to the United States. They first found employment in Canada, and they were laying tracks for the railroad. Their job for the railroad brought them to the Bay Area in the 1890s, and they found that the Mediterranean-like climate in the Santa Clara Valley reminded them of Italy. After working the railroad, they ended up working in agricultural and food processing jobs, and they then broke land and worked for the owner of a fruit and vegetable cannery in San Jose. The man that owned that cannery, in exchange for their labor, gave them a small plot of land in Paradise Valley. The brothers planted grapevines and grew tomatoes and decided to work the soil to help make it more fertile. They then produced wine and canned the tomatoes. They eventually experienced um, building a cannery in Morgan Hill, and that is now known as Biscalia Avenue. That grew into a successful operation and they then decided to move on to other ventures. Giuseppe went to travel to Los Banos one day to buy draft horses, and that journey is what ended up causing them to create this roadside fruit stand in between Hollister and Los Banos there on the highway. When he got to the old bridge that spanned Pacheco Creek, he noticed a lot of mustard bushes and an artesian spring that bubbled up. And to him, the spring provided a sign that the soil must be exceptionally fertile. After his trip, and he got back to his brothers to tell them about this land that he had found, he and they decided to get a loan and... Um, they bought this land and planted cherry trees to produce fruit 
for their cannery operations in San Jose and Morgan Hill. One younger member of the family named Clara had been growing up during this time, and she ended up getting married and having six children. In 1938, she inherited 20 acres of this Pacheco Pass orchard property that her uncles had developed. Five years later, her three sons built a small fruit stand on the side of Pacheco Pass Road, and they called it Casa de Fruta. They sold baskets of cherries and other produce to people who were traveling through the Pacheco Pass, through the mountains. The business soon became popular as a roadside stop, and through the years, they expanded a little bit here and a little bit there. In 1967, they built a 24-hour cafe near the original fruit stand, and the entire family helped in the construction, including the grandchildren who helped lay bricks. The restaurant became an attraction also for travelers, and the next year they opened up a gift shop and a gas station. Today, there is even more than that. They included a small petting zoo, they have a playground for the kids, they have uh, an RV park, and this is part of where van life comes in. They have an RV park. Now, I don't know that they would allow vans because a lot of times RV parks do not. But if your van has an RV designation, you could probably stay there. And if not, there are areas near there where I definitely saw van lifers parked overnight and also semi-trucks parked overnight on the sides of the roads near that area. There also now are a merry-go-round and some other kinds of um, attractions that you can do. So every year, thousands of people journeying between the South Valley and the San Joaquin Valley on Highway 152 stop at Casa de Fruta Roadside Resort. Now, in the 1980s and 90s, um, Highway 152 was still a two, maybe a four lane, but it went directly in front of the fruit stand. And... I want to say in the early 90s or right around uh, when the 90s happened, the freeway actually rerouted there and they made additional exits that took the freeway away from the roadside stand. And so now you actually have to get off on an exit to get there. Um, and I, at the time when this all was occurring and we had visited, we were wondering if that would dampen their business or not and it may have but they had by then become such a popular stop and so many people knew about them and so many people made it sort of a, a an annual thing or or a, a, as often as they could stop when they would be going through that area that um, I think that it has lasted and thrived just fine it is a beloved stop and it has a very wide array of foods available. Today, it is a fruit stand completely with all kinds of fruits and vegetables, but also it's a gourmet food stand. It's a wine stand. It has the restaurant. It has gas station. It has uh, a park-like setting. There are plenty of things to do. You could go and spend three or four hours just wandering around the place and making it an actual destination. So the information that I shared 
I, I gleaned from several places, but a lot of what I shared just now, I took from an article in the Gilroy Dispatch from 2008 called The Colorful Story Behind Casa de Fruta. When I was there recently, I couldn't find a book about Casa de Fruta. There are a lot of books about a lot of different things in the area, but I don't think anybody has written the book about Casa de Fruta, and that would be a great little book. So I hope somebody takes that up sometime soon. So just a little information about the RV park. Um, it does have a dump station. It does have partial handicap access. It does have emergency phone service. Um, they do allow folding tent campers. They do allow pets. There are some pet restrictions on the quantity of pets and other various restrictions, um, but they do allow tent camping. So that would mean they allow van life people because many of us, if we don't have an RV designation on our van, uh, many of us do carry tents because we do tent camping. And sometimes we need to set up the tent in order to be there and allowed in the tent site. So they have 250 total spaces available. Um, I think 126 of those are RV sites and uh, some are paved. The maximum length is 46 feet. They have 30 amp and 50 amp hookups. They have a lot of shade, a lot of really beautiful trees in the area. They have side-by-side -side hookups. They have pull-throughs. Uh, the pull-through size is 22 by 45. They have back-ins. They have room for slide-outs. They have uh, tables at the site. And you can also rent lodge rooms in case you want to do a gathering. Now, currently with COVID going on, I think they have some restrictions on that. But in a normal time, you can rent large gathering rooms. Um, they do tenting in the overflow area. They do have internet at the overnight sites. They have Wi-Fi at the park. They have Wi-Fi that supports mobile devices. They have um, 126 of their sites with Wi-Fi. The road condition is good. The road type is paved. There is restroom, showers, laundry, ATM machine, RV supplies, metered LP gas, firewood, ice, snack bar, groceries. Well, obviously, I just talked about all the groceries. The restaurant, fishing supplies, and on-site rentals. They also have swimming pool, stream, wading pool. They have a little Pacheco Creek. They have horseshoes, planned activities, playground, outdoor games, pavilion bounce pillow. Not sure what that is, but it sounds dangerous. <laughs> anyway, um, and they have Good Sam Discount Club. So what did I buy while I was there? I didn't want to have to keep anything in my cooler because my cooler was already full. So I did not get anything that required refrigeration. And I was not taking a long extended trip, so I didn't buy a lot of fresh things anyway. I bought um, apricot syrup. I bought pomegranate jelly. Amish popcorn, red variety. Garlic chips. They were freeze-dried garlic. Interesting. Pretty good. Takes a little getting used to. 
freeze-dried peas, roasted and salted. And garlic stuffed green olives, because you really can't go away from the roadside stand without garlic stuffed green olives. So those are your places to visit. If you are passing through the center of California and on your way toward the coastal region in the middle of California. These are really great stops. Casa de Fruta would even be an overnight stop if you wanted to stop there and use their amenities. Um, and at the very least, you could spend a good four hours just wandering around. Some of the things there do cost little tickets, like um, the carousel is a few dollars and they have some other little games and things. But if you don't want to spend a lot of money, you can really get by there without spending a lot of money. You could just wander around and look at all the amenities, buy some of the lesser expensive fruits and vegetables, um, maybe even eat at the restaurant if you wanted to splurge a little. But there's plenty to look at, plenty to do uh, for almost every budget. So that is it for me this time. And I promise I will eventually get to the barbecue uh, podcast. And I don't know if that will be next week. But I'm just not trying to plan ahead right now. I'm playing it by ear and um, just kind of going with whatever um, happens to be the thing of the moment, the thing that moves me, the thing that calls to me. And I've actually had several people asking me questions about various diets, uh, the FODMAPS diet, which I'll explain in an upcoming podcast the gluten-free, the grain-free, some of the other things for people who have food sensitivities. And as we know, IBS is not a thing you want to have on the road. So a lot of people need to plan for those kinds of things and want to know information about various diets. So I will have an upcoming podcast or two or three or 10 about various diets and how we can try to follow certain diets and eating regimens while traveling. And I thank you as always for joining me. And I hope that you will join me again. And I hope that you have found this information interesting and that you will go and look at these sites because both of them are pretty amazing. Forestier Underground Gardens is absolutely marvelous. And I can't believe I waited so many years to go. Um, it's just great. You've got to go see it. Anyway, there are pictures online. I will share the link to each of these places in the show notes as soon as I get to an actual computer and take the time to put those in there. In the meantime, happy travels, safe travels, see you down the road. <music>